Welcome into ATL Day Ones with Jarvis and Tanitra. Coming up on today's show, the Detroit Tigers got some double trouble last night. Competition and consistency is the name of the game in Flowery. And last but not least, and for the culture, I think people need to stop comparing themselves to millionaires. That's all coming up next, right here on ATL Day Ones. Let's go. This is ATL Day Ones. Part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. I want to start off by saying thank you for making ATL Day Ones your first listen of the day. Remember, we are free and available wherever you download your podcast. And wherever you download your podcast, make sure that you leave us a five-star review. Really appreciate that from you in advance. ATL Day One is a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, coming up in about five minutes, I think it's nothing but a good thing that the Georgia Bulldogs will have a more difficult schedule in 2024. But first, T, we have to talk about the double trouble that was yesterday with Michael Harris and Ronald Acuna. T, when you think about what these guys have been doing, Ronald Acuna, obviously, he's been killing it all year. NL MVP in my book right now. Go ahead and mark it down. But Michael Harris has picked it up. And those two dudes yesterday, T, they combined for three home runs and eight RBIs. Now, Spencer Strider struggled. But even though, you know, he, 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 he dealt with his struggles on yesterday, Dylan Dodge str- had, had, definitely had his struggles on yesterday. It was just good to see the bats continue to pick those guys up. Yeah, and you almost want to break it down into games one and two just to see how powerful the bats really were because you're talking right. about 10-7 to seven in the first game and 6-5 to five in the second game. But they were like the tail of two games, right? Right, Because yeah. it was clear from, you know, out of the gate – that Detroit kind of went up, you know, and the Tigers kind of tagged Spencer Strider and the Braves were kind of on the struggle bus on the mound. But then you get Michael Harris the second, you get Ronald Acuna Jr. and they bring up the rear. And then it's the flip side in game two where the Braves bats start out making the statement and then you have to get a come from behind when, uh, for lack of a better term, when, when the Tigers tied it up. But going back to game one, Michael Harris the second. Perfect. Four for You're four, four yeah. for four. Crazy. You are perfection at the yeah. mound. Four RBI and a home run. I mean, yes, we, we talk about Ronald Acuna Jr. all the time, three for five on the day himself. So not a bad mm-hmm. outing for him at all. But I really want to focus on Michael Harris a second because yeah. this is the time. Like I had said a couple weeks ago, he came up, skipped all over AAA, and came mm-hmm. up in May of last year and just blew it out of the water, right? So mm-hmm. maybe – I said, maybe take him a little bit maybe that's when he'll find his stride kind of around that same time and here we are just a few weeks away from that one year anniversary of him being called up and he's right back to where we were accustomed to seeing him and it's one of those things where you look at it and I feel like he's just made tweaks just made tweaks here and there at the mound at the plate excuse me to get him back to where we need him to be and then like you said with Ronald Acuna Jr. Jarvis I saw a scary stat whether you look at it from game one where he almost got a 400-plus hit in that one home run or whether you look at it from the second game, what is it, 461, 462? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are two teams in the league that haven't hit, haven't had home runs beyond 400. Two teams combined in yeah. the Major League Baseball who don't have that many home runs over 400 as Ronald Acuna Jr. does. So the power 
that the Braves are hitting with is amazing. Even Orlando Arcia going two for four and then uh, two RBI and two runs scored. It's just so much power that, to your point, when you have Spencer Strider on the struggle bus in game one and then Dylan Dodd turns around and does it for you in game two, although, hey, at least he saved some some bullpen arms for you. I mean, you get what you can. Yeah, I mean, but when you have those what it is, it is what like it. they did, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, it just what is what it is. You just take what you can take. And I think I heard our guy, um, John Chuckery, mention this on last evening. You may have some old school pitchers who are probably – if they're not with us anymore, they're rolling in the grave. And if they are with us, they are probably boycotting <laughs> the fact that, oh, my God, only gave up five runs. Hey, man, you take what you can get. So, yeah, the bats being big again, huge for this Braves team as they still work through the, the pieces of the pitching rotation challenges. And, and in the last 10 games, T, Michael Harris, 368, three home runs, eight RBIs, and OPS over a thousand. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely love it. This is this is about to be real, a beautiful thing. We just got to get through this pitching stuff. Now you know, like speaking of Spencer Strider, T, we know he was giving up the long ball yesterday. Like, are you starting to get concerned about him now? Very much so. I am because we're not ta- every. It seems like every five days we're teasing on this show. And come back tomorrow so we can talk about Spencer Strider bouncing back. Not yet. We have not seen that Spencer Strider bounce back yet. And you're talking about someone in Strider who's literally given up as many home runs in his first three starts this season as he did in his last 11. That's a scary thought. And all I could think of, I know sometimes it's mental, but Spencer Strider is a very strong individual mentally right indeed i'm starting to wonder if maybe there is an injury situation maybe there's something nagging like we're talking about with michael harris the second and maybe that back injury that hit him at the beginning of this season what if spencer strider is in that same situation i would not be shocked if somehow some way we hear maybe that he's going on short term maybe 10 day il really soon because something is just not right i don't think jarvis and this is just me i don't think it's necessarily that the league has caught up with him and his fastball and his slider no i think there may be something else going on yeah, and we hope that's not the case. And we, we also are thankful that nothing was else was going on with Jesse Chavez because, you know, he got popped by Miguel Cabrera yesterday and he was talking about, you know, hey, everything came back clean. And, he, and you know, when you're going up against a guy like that, you know, hey, you can't throw the ball in the same spot because he's going to hit it. He said those hands and those eyes don't go anywhere. Those don't age for sure. So I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And at the end of the day, T, I know that that win and <clears throat> knife inning uh, win in the first game of this series was ugly, you know, for the Braves to give it up like that with Rossella Iglesias being on the mound. But at the end of the day, just like Jesse Savez said, their goal is to win the series. And that's exactly what they did. Now, speaking of series, T, you know, the Georgia Bulldogs, they haven't played Alabama in the regular season in quite some time. Uh, that's not going to be the case in 2024. So guess what? They got hit with a nice schedule in 2024 because they dropped the divisions and uh, SEC released the schedule, um, the uh, SEC schedule for next year. And a lot of people are upset because, oh, they got to go on the road against Alabama, against Texas. And to be honest with you, T, I'm in a space where I'm just like, you know what? Like, when you talk about a team that go back-to-back national championships and potentially with the given the schedule that they have this year, they can go three times in a row. At some point, you're going to need some motivational factors that, that you're going to be able to tap into during that regular season to keep these guys focused. And I think playing Alabama 
at Alabama, at, at, at Texas, excuse me, I think that's the best way you can possibly go. Yeah. Well, welcome to the party because poor little LSU, is, poor little Tink Tink, has oh, been over tink. there in the West on the struggle bus for over a decade, always trying yes. to get over the hump of Alabama. I yep. absolutely loved when the announcement was made that this was going to be a divisionless conference. I am right. all here yeah. for it because I believe that Georgia's, Georgia is going to show whether it's regular season or whether it's playoff time, that they are a powerhouse, whether that is a 2024 powerhouse where they're coming in off a three-peat or whether they just get to the playoffs and the, the playoff rather in the championship and maybe, you know, just fall one step short. I still think ultimately speaking, they are one of the best two programs. And right now we'll call it the best program in college football and they'll have an opportunity to show it. I love seeing, to me, it's like, the Titans, you know, I love seeing the Titans go head to head. I wish for the sake of dogs, na dog nation, that it would have been in Athens first. That would have been kind of cool. Course, yeah, but really yeah, cool. Dylan Rayola could be time to possibly show and prove. So, hey, like they say, when you are in the position where you're the big dog, then everybody else is coming for you. And that might be Georgia being the big dog, but they're going to the big dog. The big dog is eventually going to come to for them. I absolutely love to see it because it just will give Georgia the opportunity to show that, hey, we earned this title as best college program in uh, college football. And they'll have the opportunity to show to me, Jarvis, if nothing else, longevity and continuity and what they're bringing to the table coming from Athens, going to Tuscaloosa. I absolutely love it. And then there's a potential that, you know, Arch Manning might be on the field when they go to Texas as well in 2024. So yeah, I be... mean, that's going to be interesting, but good luck because Hey, look, we, we know it's all QB one is an amazing thing when you have a good QB one, but bottom line is there are 22 guys that have to lace up. Yeah. 11, absolutely. 11, let's go. And, you know, I'll put Georgia's 11 on 11 on 22 or whatever you want to call it. I'll put them up against any doggone roster in the doggone country. So, yeah, I think this would be good for the Georgia Bulldogs going forward. I want to let you know that this episode of ATL Day Ones is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. It is the number one sportsbook in America. Guess what? We got a real, real cool deal for you all. Guess what? This is the no sweat first bet. And guess what that is? If for all you new customers, all you people who've been rocking with us each and every day and listening to us, now I need you to go over to FanDuel.com because for new customers, they have $2,500 waiting just for you. How do I get that, Jarvis? That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. So go to FanDuel.com slash a locked dawn because it is safe. It's super easy. It's super secure. Easy to use. Guess what, guys? You know, you have to worry about all the information being passed around and all that stuff like that. FanDuel has got you covered. And if you're interested in the over-unders or any type of bet that you want to make, right, they have it right there. So all I want you to do is to go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to make every moment more. And if you want to learn more at FanDuel.com slash locked on, let you know that these guys are the official sportsbook betting partner of the NBA. And if you are betting that there is a lot of competition 
around, especially on defense for the Falcons, well, you bet correctly this year, because as you guys know, in the offseason, Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith absolutely went to work to make sure that the situations they found themselves in last year with especially a depleted secondary, that they had the reinforcements to compete this season. That said, of course, Guys were back at Flowery Branch yesterday. Jarvis, you were right there to see it up front. And, of course, the strength and conditioning today, that is the way that the Falcons decided to wrap up mandatory minicamp. But let's take it back to what you saw yesterday, especially when you started getting your eye on some of those competitions that we kind of teased uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. What is it that you saw? Let's go secondary first. You look at the safety position, in particular, maybe the backups, because you could make the case that from a safety perspective, Jesse Bates and Richie Grant are those guys. But let's start there. What are your thoughts on whether or not they have shored up those positions and also what it looks like for the potential for backups with the likes of Jalen Hawkins? Uh, I, I look at it like this. Jesse Bates ain't going nowhere. That man getting paid all the money in the world for to be the starting on um, free safety for this team. So that I'm not concerned about that. Richie Grant, I feel like you know, being that he was a second round pick, Jalen Hawkins was drafted by the previous regime. So you know, everybody got to keep those things in mind when you start talking about com having conversations about who's going to compete for who. And I mean, I understand the whole competition piece, but there are certain instances where. You know, hey, this is the guy that they like. They really like down at the Senior Bowl, and they brought him in. And he's been pretty versatile since he came in. He was forced into play in the nickel spot, and did okay. You know, in that now he's moving from the free safety spot down to into more so the uh, strong safety spot. You know, being more so in the box sometimes and being able to come downhill. That's kind of more so of his game. So I'm interested to see how that plays out going forward. Now. The interesting thing, and I feel like you brought up an excellent point yesterday when you talked about the whole Mike Hughes and D. Offer piece because a lot of people saw Mike Hughes being bought in. Oh, yeah, he can play inside and all that stuff. He's going to be the starting there. Ho, 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 what you got right there? Because Mr. D. Offer was, was going in with Jeff Okuda, A.J. Terrell, Richie Grant, and Jesse Bates. Those guys were subbing in all at the same time because you know why they're doing that? Because so they can get familiar with each other because more than likely those are going to be the guy in that nickel starting secondary look once on, on third downs when, you know, teams are going to pass the ball. So uh, I'm, I'm, that, I think that's going to be very interesting to watch because D offer is a guy. He made some plays last year, guys. Yes. Like, don't, don't forget that. That means a lot to coaches because, you know, it, this coaching staff brought this brought him in. You know, he had some time in the CFL. So, and, and we saw him making plays. We're like, oh, okay, do y'all right there, you know, doing this thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, once he got acclimated to the game, you started to see him get progressively better. And that's what you want when you have – that's that, you know, that, that pro scout type situation that Terry Fontenot, that's his background. So, he's starting to come around. So, this he's the guy that, to me, that's going to be in that conversation – for that starting nickel spot. And, you know, it, unless barring any injury or anything like like dramatic changing about that, I feel like he's going to be there once, um, once th things kick off in September. Yeah, and I think it's very interesting, too, that when the conversation turned to D. Alford for Ryan Nielsen, he also was very familiar. And remember, like you said, he, this may actually be a good thing for D. Alford, too, of those guys that are kind of competing to see kind of where they can fit in, Dion for somebody that Ryan Nielsen got to see twice last year. And he right. got to see him in action and actually talked about that as well. So some of that historical perspective could be 
a benefit for D. Alford. And for Jalen Hawkins, I think the other piece for him is he's going to have to treat this like he's auditioning. Like literally, because like you said, he's not a Terry Fontenot, Arthur Smith selection. He's not a Ryan Nielsen selection, if you will. He's somebody who is legacy. So it'll be an opportunity that he needs to take advantage of, especially as the Falcons approach training camp to show that there's a place where he could be not just on defense, but also kind of show your worth, maybe special teams. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, there could, to, you know, and because again, <laughs> yeah. right, exactly. And that way, even if you can show some possible worth there, then the potential for you to maybe make the case for why you should get more reps on defense and get more playing time could be there because the versatility that the Falcons are looking for and the willingness to move from point A to point B is there, especially like you said, when you talk about moving from like uh free safety to strong safety and just kind of having the not just the flexibility, but also the the acumen and the ability to be able to do that. So that said, another space there where there is a crowded room where folks better be ready to show each and every day what they can be, what they are made of and what they can be in this particular defense is that linebacker core. You know, we were talking about it just yesterday when you think about the fact that, say, you know, Devin White was slightly disgruntled and, you know, looking to possibly take his talents out of Tampa, but right. this room is already locked and loaded. And mm. in particular, I was thinking about this. You, we, we of course are looking at, and this is just, come on now, this is a depth chart in the middle of basically voluntary and now mandatory OTAs. Right. right but exactly. as far as the depth chart goes today, we're looking at a linebacker room that's saying, Hey, okay, Lorenzo Carter. Yeah. They brought you back. But if you want to do more than half, say, you know, 40% or 50% of the reps, then you've got to show why they should give you that opportunity because this is also going back to players who need, who it's kind of a different kind of prove it year for Ade Ogundeji, right? He's not on a contract, like maybe a veteran, but Jarvis, is this not a prove it year for Ade in terms of where he can fit in, in that linebacker core? Absolutely. I mean, can we, when you think about, and let's just, let, let's just do it like this. Let's just use them, you know, edge rush because a lot of times yes. like we haven't got a chance to really see what they're going to run most True. of the time, you know yes. what I'm saying? And but whether or not they're going to line up. Yeah. yeah. But as far as from an edge right. rusher standpoint, oh my gosh, like Adi has to eat, as the old folks you say, piss or get off the pot. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think those are some of the things that you got to make sure that you, you know, stay in line with as far as that development piece, because we talked about, you know, what Reggie, I mean, Reggie, Richie Grant and, and his progression. You saw, yes. you know, that, that that first year had a couple struggles, had to play a position that he had never really played before like that. You know, he was able to be serviceable in that spot. Then second year, last year, went into it. He made that jump. Like, he started all the games for, for the Falcons, and he made some plays for you. So, you know, I think that Adi – he has to. He has to do something. He has to show something. He has to flash and give me something because Arthur Smith has been continually talking about competition. Yes. And this yes. is probably going to be the most competitive training camp that they've ever had since they've been here. I'm mm-hmm. going to go. To, I'm going to record and say that right now because, like you said, when you think about you know them having money right now, they have the money to go out and go get some talent. And they didn't have to go bargain basement shopping or whatever, hitting the blue light specials at Kmart and all that stuff. Dang, Kmart mentioned. How about that, T? I'm proud of myself. <laughs> but yeah, like when, but when you think about what they are up against and what Arthur Smith is trying to preach, did like these guys get the message? I think it's loud and clear, T. Um, I got a chance to talk to Matt um, Matt Hennessy yesterday as well, and like he was like, he was talking about how people really don't understand how competitive. 
the NFL is because the guys can be brought in every year to take your spot if you if you aren't careful. So yeah, I think right now this needs to be a, a situation where hey, Audie, you better get on it. And also, just a little nugget too, Michael Walker better get on it as well. Yeah, we that and that's one of our guys who we've always been looking at and rooting for and seeing some progression. But yeah, this could be a prove it, make it, break it year for him. A group where there is not a prove it situation per se, competition. But maybe for once, Jarvis in the last in the Arthur Smith regime, most definitely there's not that much for the O-line. And instead of the word competition being used for them, Chris Lindstrom and others talked about another word, and that's consistency. Obviously working together as a unit, as an offensive line, Caleb and Drew, but they're doing the same thing on the other side. Even to the sense of like, if Jake makes a call all the way on the left side, it's got to get echoed all the way down. And so that's not a skill that we're relearning. It's kind of something we're tuning or working on instead of having to like fully learn a new skill. Yeah, like that. Like this is becoming like my favorite Falcons player. Like, I love me some Chris Chris Lynch yeah. because yeah. when you think about like you see the growth from him, you know, like, from day one as a rookie coming in, being a little bit unsure of himself just from a confidence standpoint, and then you start to see him just like just blossom and flourish and like, hey, I'm here. I've arrived. I know I can be uh, one of the better guards in the NFL, and I got the contract to back it up now. So. I think when you talk about that communication piece, that continuity, that was our magic word early on yeah. in this week, that yes. continuity, it matters so much with the offensive line. That's why I say everybody don't have to be great, but everybody got to be on the same page. Yes. <laughs> and I think so that true. that's what – that when you hear him having that type, those type of conversations or speaking like that, mm -hmm. that's the thing that you you look for when you're talking about offensive line taking that – that another step, right? You know, yes. not only being one of the better running blocking teams in the NFL, but – transition and say hey we can pass block two yeah because i was looking at one statistical ranking and not that this is bad drop is going from three to seven but the fact of the matter is they were third in run protection but then they were seventh overall so right. to have that gap of you know those four that fourth spot ranking again not mm -hmm. to say that's a huge deal but it does give notice that there is an opportunity for right. improvement and we all know it's there but you start thinking about what that could do for the offense, keep your run protection where it is. But if the pass protection can be there as well, then once that run protection establishes what it is that Arthur Smith and Dave Ragone want to do on the ground, then it really opens things up for things to go well for the, the pass game. You know, you think about the fact that now you've got that bigger body in Matt Bergeron. So bigger bodies, consistency, yeah. all of it is going to matter in making this a deep, uh, excuse me, an offense that people may see on the surface looks one dimensional, but will be multidimensional in the future. So listen, everydayers, what are your thoughts? I mean, where do you see most of the competition for the Falcons? Is it in that safety core, that DB core, particularly at safety? Is it, and we'll call it the pass rush because they could be line up back. And like you said, they could line up at any particular position, but where maybe in the defensive front, do you see most of the competition? Let us know. You know where to check us out. ATL Day One's right there on YouTube. You can drop your comments in the comment section. And then, of course, download us wherever you get your podcasts. But, T, this is for the culture. It is an intersection between sports, entertainment, the culture, and sometimes whatever the hell we want to talk about. Because that's just how we get down on this show. Today is no different. This is a very special one to my heart, T, because, you know, a lot of times people get into these conversations about going half on you know, uh, households and everything when you're married, which is actually absolutely laughable to me. Um, so, you know, Dwayne Wade, you know, chimed in because 
you know, he and Gabrielle Union, their relationship and their views and how they raise their kids has been all on display ever since they've gotten together. So um, Dwayne Wade was on Club Shay Shay and with our guy, Shannon Sharp, and podcast, and he was talking about how they started going half on the bills. And, you know, you know, when people start talking about 50-50 and marriage and all that stuff, there's a lot of conversation that gets sparked. But I think one of the things that really stood out to me, though, T, is the fact that they were having the, they got into an argument. Um, how does he came about? They got into an argument. And Dwayne Wade mentioned that this was my house. And, you know, Gabrielle Union, being the woman that she is, she did not take that too lightly. And she said, you will never, ever say that again. But does she have a point, though, T? Like, is it a a, a, a scenario where she should have been, that should have been the conclusion that she came to once she um, decided that, hey, you know, this is what we're going to do going forward once they move out to L.A.? That 50-50 was the kind of conclusion? I think so for them. It seems to work for them because that comment that Dwayne Wade made, okay, let's just be real. Most people actually think it. They just are smart enough not to say it in the heat of the moment. Yeah, yeah. Because it could get you in big trouble. And that can go both you ways. You can say that right? when you're a millionaire. Like, you got a lot of money, you can say that. <laughs> it's okay. Well, no, you can't. And it's not okay. No, I, I don't care what level of money you have. It is right. not okay for you to try to chin check your significant other that way. Indeed, yes. At all. Yeah, in that manner, yes. yeah. And it sure. goes yeah. both ways, right? Yeah. Because you, you just have to be so very careful about reminding people of what is yours and who earned this. Because at the end of the day, like at any given moment, her net worth could go and double and triple his. Like Jay-Z and Indeed. Beyonce, their net worths go back and forth as far as who is worth more. So you better be real careful with that. But I appreciate the fact that D-Wade stepped back and and when she said basically don't go there again don't don't come for me with that they both agreed you know what this might be the best way for us as a family to avoid that if we just split it 50 50 you know down down the line and listen i'm sure it goes 60 40 sometimes 70 30 i am sure that with what i've seen for some of the gifting that he's done for him for her etc etc it probably is not always 50 50 but i think for the sake of keeping peace in their household, maybe that's just something that they decided to do on the front end that for all intents and purposes has worked for them. Everything, it's different for different people because you know what this made me think about Jarvis and granted, Mm -hmm. I always caveat with, I'm the single person. That's why I defer to Jarvis in these situations. But it also goes to the conversation about whether or not you wanna have joint accounts, individual accounts, or both. Ah, yes, T. Depends I love on it. who you so, are and how you so, rock and how, who is good so, with the money. So where the yeah. money reside is where the person who's good with it is. And that's how a lot of it should be decided as well. But again, your household, your decision. Yeah, and that's my thing. Like, and that's a and let me clean up what I said. I like I feel like Dwayne Wade should be able to say, you know, say the whole my house piece when he's single. You know what I'm saying? And I think he's still, and this is when they first moved in with each other, right? So, Which of course, it's, it's going to be a, trans, it's a transition period. You know what I mean? You got to change your language once you get married. Like, there trust me, I understand. And <laughs> so, when you're cohabitating, because you're making a choice, it may not be legal in mm-hmm. the eyes of, you know, 
in a in a courthouse unless you're in California in seven years. But anyway, <laughs> may not be legal. But if you made that decision to make that kind of commitment and be under that same roof, you're still a step ahead of the person who's just boyfriend and girl persons who are just boyfriend and girlfriend and get to go to different households at the end of the night. But right. I hear what you're saying as far as like, hey, you start to build up to the mindset. Right. Of being yeah. in that unified situation. That's why premarital counseling works. Like, you know what I'm saying? But but as far as the whole household piece, right? Like, yes. I feel I laugh because here's why I laugh at, you know, this whole 50-50 conversation. Because in my in my eyes, like I look at it from the standpoint of whatever you all are bringing to the table, it all goes in one pot anyway. You know what I mean? It's like, and of course, and I'm not saying you I have a little separate account, you know what I'm saying? Like but it's like small stuff. Like if I want to do a purchase or something like that, there's a certain amount that my wife and I have talked about. Like, okay, if it's over a certain amount or if it's under a certain amount, we don't have to have a conversation about it. So, you know, that's kind of how I work with it. And we got a big joint account where all our, our funds and salaries and all that stuff goes in one account. And then, you know, if we got a little side something like this. Okay. It's all right. It's just all about you having that conversation or that communication. They're saying like, okay, Hey, Here's how we're going to do it, and, and this is how we're going to roll. And, you know, that whole my house piece, like, yeah, change that, bro. Like, I get it. I understand that. But because, like I said, it's a transition period once you go from being single and having your own, getting your own, and earning your own money. Like, and then you go into a household where that person makes almost just as much as you. So, like, you can't be running around clout chasing, like, because, you know, Dwayne Wade, he married a, a lady that, uh, he came out of a marriage that, you know, he was the breadwinner. So, you know, you can't talk to Gabrielle like you talked to, you know, your, your previous wife. So there's because it was two different scenarios. There's two types, two different types of households. And I think that's where we need to start looking at these things. When we start judging, you know, these these people marriages, I was like, I can't compare myself to Dwayne Wade to Gabrielle Union. I can't operate like that because right. I don't make that much that type of money. So it, the conversation needs to be different. Right. And also. It's different philosophies, like yeah. where they may be coming from, maybe, and I'm, I'm not judging them at all, but it may be coming from, as an example, a vantage point of just the financials, right? Just the fiduciary, right. whereas your wife and you may be coming from even more of a spiritual perspective as well. Absolutely. Yeah. The two of you are first time marriage partners. The two of them coming into marriage a second time. She was more than the primary breadwinner in her first marriage. No doubt. No, and no, he no. was more than the primary breadwinner in his first yep. marriage. So like you yep. said, there have to be conversations and understanding understandings about exactly what that means. And I will ask you this question before we wrap up. Mm -hmm. Out of curiosity for you guys, how did that conversation evolve into an agreement of, hey, we will have the majority of our funds going into the joint account, but here's what I want to have for, you know, a little something over here. And here's what uh, your wife might want to have for a little something over there. I mean, to be, to be quite frank, like in the beginning, I wasn't making that much money, you know, and my wife was making a decent amount of money. So, you know, it was a matter of like, okay, once I got to a point where I was making a decent salary, I was like, okay, all right, now that, you know, we, we got a little room to breathe and as far as paying all the bills and everything like that, now we can say, okay, here's a, a couple of $25 or $50, and I started playing around in the stock market. Of course, I started making money then when it crashed and everything like that. So it was a it was a transition that – it was a conversation that we had to, had, had to have, excuse me, once there were funds – you know, enough funds to be able to have something, you know, a personal account or or be able to, 
you know, go out and buy certain things that, you know, we don't have to have a conversation about. So it was just, a, it was, it was a growth. Like essentially it was, it, we grew into it. We grew into the conversation because like in the beginning, it was when we first got married, like shoot, whatever we, we got to pay enough to go, uh, we got to get enough to, to cover the bills. And then if we have a little extra at the end of the month, we'll have a conversation about it. If not, it is what it is. On to the next month. <laughs> I love it. And I appreciate it. And the key point there that Jarvis has just talked about with he and his wife is communication. So it's a little lesson that we single folk could appreciate and learn as well. So speaking about growth, it looks like AJ smith Shaver is going right into a starting position for the Braves. We'll talk about it tomorrow as the Braves begin a four game set against the Rockies tonight. They are back home and ready to get back down to business over at Truist Park. We'll also download a little bit more on the Falcons as they wrap up mandatory minicamp with a strength and conditioning day on Thursday. And we'll talk about that as it goes into break time ahead of training camp. And of course, anything that might happen, I don't know, on the offseason trade free agency front for the Hawks. If it happens, we're talking about it right here. Everydayers, weigh in. What do you guys think about any and everything that we talk about, including what our thoughts were on how you handle financials at your home, as well as, of course, anything sports related, Braves, Hawks, Falcons, we're all about it. Thank you guys, as always, for downloading us wherever you get your podcast and for checking us out on YouTube and always dropping your comments. We appreciate you. And last but not least, before we get out of here, make sure you guys that you share love, show love, and most importantly, spread love.